This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and our guest this week is Steve from the YouTube channel Junk Drummer TV. After years of steady touring and teaching, Steve set about cultivating a YouTube audience. He has banked hundreds of videos on that channel, analyzing drummers and drum parts from every imaginable genre and era, and deconstructing the techniques and musical concepts that make them great. At 36,000 followers and over 6 million views, Steve's popularity as a YouTube resource is on the rise and not looking back. This episode is sponsored by Sonatus USA. Get it right at the source is the most common advice we hear about recording drums. Tuning and mic placement are a great place to start, but what shouldn't be overlooked is the space you're playing in. The time and energy it takes to work up and record a great performance shouldn't be wasted in a sonically bad environment. Investing in a proper blend of absorption, diffusion, and bass traps will improve the quality of your recordings just as much as the investments you make in your playing instruments and recording equipment. Whether you're tracking, rehearsing, mixing, or just practicing, having a great sounding room is essential. Sonatus USA provides the products and consultation to get your drums sounding the best they can in whatever space you're working with. Check them out at sonatususa.com. That's S-O-N-I-T-U-S-U-S-A.com. And you can also hear acoustician Anthony Grimani of Sonatus talking with Matthew Krauss about all things sound treatment in episodes 306, 308, and 313. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. So I got hip to Steve and his YouTube channel when I heard him on the Big Fat Five podcast, thanks to uh, Ben Hilsinger from Big Fat Snare Drum for hooking us up. And he was discussing his top five Levon Helm recordings. And listening to him was so much fun, I knew talking with him would be even more fun. His frame of reference about all types of music and drumming is deep and wide, and he expresses it all through his uniquely southern gift of gab. I thought I could just get him on Zoom, hit record, put a quarter in him, and watch him go, and that's exactly what happened. So here we go with Steve from Junk Drummer TV. Was there a, a problem or a, a gap that you sought to fix with uh, your YouTube channel? In what way is your YouTube channel the change that you want to see on the internet? Oh yeah, that's that's I that I have a big time modus operandi about that. You know, you saw me uh, on the podcast with our uh, mutual friend Ben. Shout out Ben. Yeah, I love that guy. Uh, he's what happens in this business that I love about that you just meet your friends through it. You mm -hmm. meet these people who already have 
you know, the things that you are, that you are into already. And then you will become friends with them. Yeah. I haven't, I need to, I need to get hold of him. I haven't talked to him in a few weeks. Uh, yeah. The, my YouTube channel, I started it because the band that I was in had just come off the road after about six years. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of free time. And one night I was watching this channel called Rebecca Vocal Athlete. I've given her all the credit every time I've been asked about it. And she's a vocal coach. And I, you know, I'm 44. So like I'm way out of the age range of just like those traditional react videos where it's just like cats, like, you know, laughing and being like, oh my goodness. And not really, really commenting on what's going on. Right. You know, I think that the, I think that's a huge racket. If you know anything about what the fair use uh, law is, and I don't think it's a law, but it's it's a the fair use doctrine or whatever. You know, you should be bringing something to this content that that really is someone else's, right? Right, right. And and Rebecca, vocal athlete, and another guy named Tristan Parodies, or per, I, I've never gotten his name right. And they're both vocal coaches, and they call them React ch- videos, but they break down what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, if like someone's doing some crazy melisma with their voice, they'll explain how that's done. And at the time, and I, I don't want to sound like I started this, but I can tell you that when I started and another guy named uh, Garrett Miller, we got to start our video, our channels at the same time. There was only really one drum teacher react or drum react channel. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get this guy's name wrong too. And if you're a drummer, you've seen him. Uh, the Martin Yevovovic. Yeah. The hip flexor guy. <laughs> you know, I think he's European, <laughs> right? Right, so, right, right. The hip flexor guy, he had a bunch of videos, but he was only doing uh, extreme metal, like extreme death metal, that kind of stuff. Right. right? Like, uh, you know, what's that band? Cunt Crusher and shit like that. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) I know that's the name of a band, dude. (laughs) I did a video on it. And to get out of the algorithm, you know, I did the whole like, you know, put a lot of symbols for that C word in the middle. Right, right. (laughs) That's the song. That's not the band. That's the song. Right, okay. Uh, But but he was doing those and, and he was doing like breakdowns. And really what I do on this channel is what I've been doing with my more advanced students for decades now because you know I teach in a music in a music school that's attached to a music store I taught in high school for 13 years and then now after you know the pandemic I also teach from home off of uh, over zoom mm-hmm. and I teach a lot of young kids right I teach I mean yesterday I had like I had like three eight-year-olds I oh, think bless your heart it's Man, it's it's a living, but man, it's rough. But when I have advanced students, you know, I'm really trying to. A lot of my advanced student lessons, like like the one I had last night, are for my enjoyment because it's really fun to be able to break down why something is done. Right, and so you know what, what you're mean? talking about is like there's there's a lot of like react videos to drums or songs or anything else on YouTube, but th- there's a difference between that and doing like an analysis. Which is why I do that uh, intro to every one of my videos to let people know. And at the beginning, and I thought I, I thought about this actually a couple days ago when I first started it. You know, my very first video was Neil Peart doing Tom Sawyer, because of course, yeah, if you're gonna start a if you're gonna start a drum video, you know, drum channel, start with Neil. A lot of people at the beginning 
was like, uh, you're talking too wonky. You know, I don't, I don't want to hear about 16th notes and, you know, I want to see reacts. And then I had to train the audience. Yeah. So at the beginning of my channel, at the beginning of every video that I've done and yesterday I, or this morning, I released my hundred and 116th. Wow. I did Nate Smith. I did Nate Smith. That dude's amazing yeah he's a, uh, he's a freak. Fuck. <laughs> dude man that video i did on him he's doing that like it's not swung eighth notes but it's not shuffled eighth notes it's that do you know what i'm talking yes, about yes yeah and nate smith is just one like we're kind of getting into it already just like he's he's one of those he reminds me of like a samurai or a sushi chef or just Jedi. He's yes, a Jedi someone someone who has just dedicated themselves to like a very certain thing and and they're able to plug it into a lot of different stuff but man it's just like it's so distinct it's so specific to him um but anyway so I, like I, you're, you're what i was saying at the beginning of each of my each one of my videos to let people know that i'm not just gonna be like oh my god he's so crazy right I say that, you know, I, you know, I do uh, analysis, initial reactions and hot takes. Right. Right. So right. I've had to I know at the beginning, the first like three, four, five months I had this channel, a lot of my commenters was like, this ain't what this ain't lost in Vegas. And I'm like, no, it's not like it says <laughs> drum teacher. And and I really wish I could. And on a lot of my videos where I am aware of it, like, you know, I, I do, I've done a bunch of Danny Carey videos. And if you have a drum channel, you're contractually obligated to do Danny Carey videos. <laughs> I can't call those react videos because I've been listening to Danny Carey since I was fucking 14, right? Yeah. And a lot of commenters was like, well, you know, you obviously know this guy. I'm like, I'm 44 years old. I'm a drum teacher for 26 years. I've been playing drums. I know most drummers. Right. So it's going to be hard for me to do that. So at the beginning of each of each video, I will say, you know, well, you know, I did like a Mike Pat or a Mike Borden video, Faith No More. Like, dude, I, that's one of my favorite bands, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I know this drummer. We're going to analyze it. Uh, one of the guys that does it really well for guitar is, uh, have you ever seen the Wings of Pegasus guy, the, the British dude? No. He's really great. Like, he does what I do. Mm -hmm. Like, he will watch like a Tommy Emanuel video. And if you don't know who Tommy Emanuel is, he's this Australian finger-picking you know, God of acoustic guitar, and he'll actually break it down. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, right here, he's doing this kind of arpeggio, and right here, he's doing this kind of string skipping. And that's what I'm doing. I think of my channel as a, and I've even got it listed as that, as a drum educational channel. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, I also have an interview channel or interview show. I'm the, six or seven of those I actually had been on the third episode oh cool uh, uh and i had steven taylor on you know and i'm going to try to get rob b down brown too and those two cats you know when you go into a market looking to find your your niche well those cats have the market cover between drumeo steven taylor and rob beatdown brown like drum lessons like straight traditional drum lessons that's taken care of right on youtube you know what i mean and i teach upwards to 10 to 12 sometimes 14 students a day so when i get home i didn't want to just teach more lessons yeah, yeah. On, on youtube now that being said i did do three out of boredom during the lockdown <laughs> So there are, and I, I call that little series, you know, lessons from the quarantine. Yeah, yeah. But I was, I, I you know what, what got me into really wanting to think about being on YouTube is I had a student come in 
and she's still my student. And she has a TikTok, and me and her have this kind of friendly rivalry over subs. And she does drum, she does drum, uh, you know, drum videos on her TikTok. Right. A lot of Twenty One Pilots, a lot of Twenty One Pilots. <laughs> and she came in, and she had like a, she had a merch, shirt. she had a shirt on, and it was obviously like a merch, but it wasn't a band. I was like, what, what the fuck is your shirt? She's like, oh, this is my favorite YouTuber. And I was like, oh. This is where the kids are getting their entertainment from. Yeah, yeah. This is where it's at. So yeah. So now I have merch on my on my, uh, and she actually owns one of my t-shirts. Nice, nice, man. <laughs> so like when it came to building this channel, um, I'm always curious for for like whenever I talk to someone who has who has built a following, whether it's an Instagram or a YouTube channel or a TikTok, whatever. Um, I'm always curious about, you know, what, was there a strategy behind building your following or was it, was it truly a viral thing that sort of built over time? Um, how did this happen? Man, I, I do it like I do my life, which is probably not great. I had no strategy. <laughs> I, I do it like I do my uh, decisions to, to play in a band Mm -hmm. or take a particular gig or take a particular session. If it makes me feel good, then I do it. Right. And I never thought, and man, you know, my channel's not huge. I've only got like, uh, I'm I'm creeping on 36,000 subs. Yeah. And people put too much emphasis on subs because subs don't mean anything. It's the views. Mm. And I'm creeping up on 6 million views. And then the channel will be two years on May 14th. Uh, man, I just put out stuff that I thought would needed to exist. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I know that if I do a Danny Carey video, I know it's going to get a lot of views. Yeah. And I do Danny Carey videos, and they're heartfelt because he literally is one of my favorite drummers. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so is Billy Martin and Dave King. Mm-hmm. And nobody watches those videos, and I don't give a shit. Right. Because I think that shit exists. Like, I did Billy King, not Billy King, Dave King. Right, Billy right. Martin and Dave King. I've done both of those. I've done Stanton, Stanton Moore. If you're in a drum uh, commentary uh, channel, you know that there are names that you do will get you the views. Yep. If I wanted to chase views, I would just do Slipknot videos all the time. <laughs> And I would do Avenged Sevenfold videos all the time, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, those are the channels, or those are the bands that have rabid followings. You know, I did 21 Pilots. My first video to actually blow up was a 21 Pilots video. And I did that for my student that I was talking about. Because she requests, she's like, well, you should check out this guy. And I only knew about 21 Pilots through students. Yeah. I don't know that much about them. Uh, so I just do what I think should exist. I do a lot of videos that just do a couple hundred video uh, a couple hundred views and then i have some videos that have half a million yeah uh i don't chase views i just do what i think should exist mm-hmm. you know i think that enough <clears throat> excuse me i don't think enough people know who dave king is from the bad plus yeah and i don't think enough people know who john paul gaster is from clutch and so if I can turn somebody on to that, then that's then I'm doing a good day's work. Yeah. So yeah. I have I have no strategy, brother. I just <laughs> do a thing. You know, and a lot of times I will take stuff from comment section, you know, because you have to do that, uh, you know, to, to feed your audience. But, man, I'll do a video just because I think that video should exist. I did that Billy War- Bill Ward video for Black Sabbath, obviously, because he's one of my favorite drummers and everyone loves Black Sabbath. 
I did that video just so I could get the hot take out that, and if you've ever been in a bar with me late night and Black Sabbath comes on and maybe the, just the amount of Jaeger is correct, <laughs> I will give you the, this, I will give the same spiel that I did in that video where I think Bill Ward is as important as John Bonham, but he doesn't get the same respect and reverie and reverence as John Bonham does because a lot of those drums are really lo-fi. Yeah. From those first couple records. You know, that first record, it they recorded that in three days. Right. Right. You know, we've been in we've been in sessions where you've taken two just to get drum sounds. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? And I think that Bill Ward is is as important as John Bonham and is as influential, but he doesn't get that same respect because he didn't have uh, is it Glenn Johns? Yes. Yeah, he didn't have Glenn Johns recording him. Right. So I made that video because I wanted that out in the world. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's literally how I uh, – I can't believe I said literally. Uh, mm -hmm. It's how I deal with everything in, in my playing career is if – I think it's going to feel good and it's going to make me happy that I do it. Right. We've taken the same approach on on our podcast where, you know, one, once in a while there's a big household name that you know is going to get a lot of play, a lot of downloads, et cetera. Um, but a lot of the, you know, a lot of the interviews we've done are, are just people that are like, holy shit, this guy's amazing. He's smart. He's like, the you know, people need to hear from this cat. Um, so... In in doing all these videos, uh, what what have been like? Has it has it affected the way you teach or the way you play? Like, what what have been the biggest effects on sort of your approach to what you do after after cycling through like over a hundred now sort of analyses of drummers from across the spectrum? What it's done, and it was actually. A, a cool side effect is I got turned on to a lot of cool stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it doesn't really affect my teaching because I, what I'm doing in those videos is what I do with my advanced students anyway. So it was, you know, like, uh, you know, if you play roundabout, and I just use roundabout because I'm teaching that to a couple students right now, you know, he's doing this here because of this, you know, in that first chorus, He's not playing at the beginning because the bass is out, but on the second course, he starts at the beginning of the course because the bass is in. Right. You know, those things are what I think is the real wisdom that makes you a good musician. I think on, on my YouTube channel, I have said this, the, the YouTube shred culture yeah. has, has – how can I put this? It has given people the wrong idea of what the drums are actually supposed to do, mm -hmm. which is one of my hashtags is hashtag hashtag make drums musical again. Mm. And you can probably go and hear where like if I watch a virtuoso over the top, like prog type drummer and you can hear him. And then if you watch like the Nate Smith video last night, where it's mostly just him grooving, you can kind of tell which one I prefer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like musicality. My favorite drummer is Levon Helm, right? So and we're gonna you, we're gonna talk about Levon. We are gonna cover uh, Levon in in a, in just a bit. But what you're saying reminds me of um, something I was talking about. We've interviewed Peter Erskine three times now, I believe. And in one of my interviews with him, I uh, we got to talking about Buddy Rich. And um, and Peter said, you know, uh, Buddy is just undisputably 
uh, amazing, and he's just the the world champion of drums for all time. Um, but Peter said, I, I think young drummers get the wrong idea about big band drumming by listening to Buddy. And if they want to hear an example of you know what most big band drumming should aspire to be, they should listen to Mel Lewis. He's uh, absolutely right. And in my Buddy Rich video, I even said everybody who says that whole like, uh, you know, he's the greatest drummer of all time. And I've went out of my way on my channel to never say who I think is the greatest of all time. I have I have the name. Mm -hmm. and I'll tell you off, offline if you want to hear. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'll never say that. But I think that like when I on my Buddy Rich video, I said, all you people who say, uh, you know, he's the greatest of all time. Can you tell me? any other tunes that you associate with him outside of West Side Story and Channel One Suite. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, he's almost become a meme. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Buddy Rich is a meme. He's great. He's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Right. But there's a bunch of other jazz drummers that I would rather listen to right. besides him. And what you said about like, you know, the YouTube culture, the Instagram culture, you know, giving drummers the wrong idea about what the role of the drums actually is. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, it's, um, I, <laughs> we're just going to sound like a couple of old guys, but, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, no, um, we're going to sound like cats that have gigs that make records. That's oh, what we're sound like. right. Those guys. That's what right. we're going to sound like. <laughs> <laughs> you know have you what heard? I mean? Cause like, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, uh, you know, I, I get that in the comments section all the time. I did Krogben. Do you know who I'm talking about? Mm -mm. Krogman. They're, they're this really cool trio from Texas. And uh, they're an instrumental. And they kind of, they're really hard to, 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 to put a genre on. But it's mm -hmm. instrumental, like guitar. It's cool. It's just cool stuff. And the drummer on the video that I did literally for three and a half minutes played the same exact groove all the way through. Mm -hmm. But it was just the deepest pockets you can fucking have <laughs> and i got so many comments yeah it's like well this is easy uh, you should watch like uh, uh, i don't want to say anybody's name but you know you should watch this guy you know blow all the like you don't get it yeah you're not getting it <laughs> yeah. this is what producers want right you know i did a i did a weezer video i did a weezer video as a uh as a uh gift to my old bass player who had just had a kid and because Weezer's his favorite band. <laughs> and anytime that I do something that's more simple like that, you'll get those commenters it's like, well, this isn't blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, then you've, you've never had a producer tell you to quit playing so much. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and YouTube and YouTube culture, I call it shred culture. And man, don't get me wrong. You know, I like watching some of drum drum Olympians. You sure, know what I'm of course. Like, There's so much that's awesome about those guys, but I, I think what you know the the commenters that you're referring to, what some of them miss is that you know that is not the point of other drummers and other videos. And if they pay attention and listen, there is something equally awesome about what they're doing, and and you know specifically what they're not doing. Um, that's but, the one right there. That's the that's the line. Yeah. I got told that about 15 years ago when I was playing with a cat who had just got off of uh, a major label. He had just got dropped from Island or Interscope. It was Interscope. And he and he's just a phenomenal musician. And he was like, man, he was like, it's about knowing what not to play. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a real that's a hard that's a hard lesson that a lot of youngsters 
uh, have. And, and, and who can blame them when they see somebody who has 2 million views playing 17 over six or whatever the fuck. Right. You know what I mean, right. Um, yeah, just the, the, uh, the the basics will will tell you so much about a person's or a drummer's um you know like what they're made of you know because like chops and content can just to to me it sort of clouds a drummer's identity it makes it more opaque it's like well all i see are these notes i don't i don't feel anything from you as a person as an artist you know Wow! Yeah, man, I hear you, Zach. <laughs> I now uh, you've just put in words what I've been trying to say about that. I don't, <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't. You're not giving me your true soul, right? right. You're just showing off because you're just showing off, mm-hmm. right? You know, you know. Bill Withers called it show off muscles. You know, you're flexing your show off muscles, right? Right. Uh, man, just a big old fat groove hits me way harder. Than uh, you know the most difficult. I was watching yesterday. I was watching a cat. Uh, he's actually a great channel. Ah oh, man, he does the uh, break down the greats or whatever. Your long hair ponytail dude. Hmm. And he was breaking down this Simon Phillips groove, and it was this really complicated, like Danny Carey type thing, right. polyrhythmic, multi layered thing. Yeah, really difficult. And man, I felt nothing. (laughs) You know, as a drummer, as a as a a craftsman, I could be like, "Wow, you know, that's so hard." You know, when you lay down that three over four thing against this thing that you're doing with your left foot, that's I felt nothing. I felt nothing watching that. Yeah, yeah. Me and uh, my my co host Matthew Krause uh, recently did our own episode of uh, uh, Big Fat Five with Ben. And um, one of the tracks I chose was Keith Carlock playing with a band called Rudder. And um, it was just this, like, it was this groove at, I don't know, 80 BPM or something. And it was just Carlock going, gooch, gotch, gooch, gotch, gooch, gotch. Like, you know, and and the it was the simplest groove ever, but uh, the way Carlock moves, his touch, his tones... Like it, it, it sounded like he invented that groove, you know, and I think that's what you're talking about is, is, is finding something simple that, you know, coordination wise, anybody can do, but finding a way to just make it totally unique, um, and totally distinct to you. I think, and I know this will sound kind of arrogant, but I think that you have to get to a certain level of playing, of musicianship, to understand that there's a virtuosity in that. Oh, yeah. I I say this a lot to my students. Like, I can line up, you know, I think right now, before the pandemic, I had 55 a week, and right now I have less than that. that is (laughs) superhuman. (laughs) Dude, I was teaching six days a week, and then at the time also playing in a band that was touring regionally. You know, we were touring, you know, Big East, uh, SEC country. Yeah. And, uh... I can t- I would say this I'm like I can line up all 55 of my students from age eight to at the time I had a 75 year old man 
and I can have you all play this same exact groove at the same exact tempo on the same exact drum set with the same exact cymbals and drumsticks, and it will all feel completely different. Mm -hmm. You know, that will all feel completely different. You know, you can listen to a Jim Keltner track and be like, oh, yeah, that's easy. Go make it feel that way, brother. Yeah. <laughs> go, go. You go. can't. And there's <laughs> there's a virtuosity in that feel, man. And those, you know, $1,000 a day drummers, they're, they are that because they have that. Right. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Because that is, uh, it's it, you can't quantize it quantitize it and you can't <laughs> write it down you can't write it down yeah you know what i mean yeah. you either have that groove or you know it's anderson pack it's quest love mm -hmm. it's uh, man uh you know i came to keith carlock in a different way i saw him for the first time on a modern drummer uh drum day dvd i think, I think it's from like oh six yep i think that was a lot of people's first exposure to him i that was probably my first exposure to him and um this this record that he did with the band rudder was around the same time um so it was it was kind of before he he really blew up like touring with steely dan he was in new york doing stuff with wayne krantz and tim lafave and and so yeah well, so I've watched that, and, you know, it's really virtuosic. I don't know if that's a word, but I use it all the time. Uh, I guess if you use a word enough, it'll end up in fucking Webster's Dictionary. Uh, but I watched that, and I was like, wow, you know, that dude has just got a really cool uh, style. But then I'm a Steely Dan fanatic, and then he did Two Against Nature and uh, – Everything shit, Must Go. The, Fuck, man. And, you know, the fact that Steely Dan used one drummer on those two records yeah. is everything you need to know about Keith Carlock. Yeah, Keith Carlock is the only drummer in the history of the world that has been on a Steely Dan record start to finish. Yeah, dude, they didn't even use Steve Gadd on the whole fucking record. Nope. <laughs> you nope. know what I mean? And, and his playing, you could see, you know, when I saw him on the Modern Drummer uh, days or whatever that was, and then hear him, you know, that uh, uh, that song Cousin Dupree is just <laughs> badass, dude, man. It's, it's hilarious. It's, it's kind fucking of, hilarious. It's kind of wrong. <laughs> it's very, very wrong. That's, what, that's, what, that's why those two beautiful men are so great. Yeah. Uh, I heard them described once as, you know, Walter and, and Dan, uh, Walter and, oh shit. Uh, uh, Donald, Donald Fagan. Donald, yeah. yeah. As the snarky kids at the back of the class who knew they were smarter than the teacher. Yep. Yep. Is who Steely Dan was. But, but when I go from Keith Carlock playing on that DVD to his playing on those records and it's all inside and it just feels great. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh shit, he's using those chops for good. Yeah. He's yeah. using his powers for good. And it's a great um like what you're what you're talking about, sort of like Keith Carlock at Modern Drummer Festival versus Keith Carlock on Steely Dan record, like it's not like he's um sort of muting himself. It's not like he's playing um, a lesser version of himself on the Steely Dan thing. It's just like a tighter, more distilled, like, um, and we, we talked about this in our, I think in our, our big fat five thing about, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not about, um, being a different drummer. It's about being able to turn certain parts of, you know, the drummer that you are up or down, you know, we all have That's these kind of, we all have these faders about, um, like, 
you know, the kind of shit we want to play and the kind of shit we can play and the kind of shit that feels good for us. It's like actors, you know, actors have certain parts of their personality and for a given character, they can kind of, you know, turn up or down these different colors in their personality and we can do the same thing. And that's exactly what Carlock did on that Steely Dan record. He was just like, let me, let me turn up this just super clean, super tight, funky version of myself, turn down the improvisational loose, like more bombastic, um, but it's still Carlock. It's still just undeniably Carlock. Man, do you give lessons? Yes. <laughs> You're talking like a drum teacher that I would love to study with. That's, that's, a, that's really great insight. Uh, I watched an interview on him uh, talking about being with Steely Dan, and he said – I'm going to get it wrong, but this is, he basically said that like with, with Steely Dan, every note that you play – means more Mm -hmm. it's very important it's a like every note has to have an importance behind it there can't be a lot of extraneous right it's got to be you know if this note that you're playing it has to it has to be there yep you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it's just so important because you know their music is so complex like if you've ever played a steely dan cover and done it correctly it's fucking maddening. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's maddening and yeah. it's really maddening for the piano player like that. <laughs> I was in a band once and we did uh, we did Black Friday. And you know, you just think about that, it's just a good old shuffle. Mm-hmm. But if you want to do it right, man, the those parts fit together like the most complicated jigsaw puzzle that you've yep. ever put together. Yep. They're little Swiss watches like every Steely Dan they song. They are. Is like, Holy shit. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Zach, I'm stealing all of your lines. You and Ben have great lines, man. <laughs> Before the pandemic, I mean, you mentioned you were touring with this band. Um, first of all, where where are you based? I am based in the South somewhere. <laughs> an, <laughs> an undisclosed. I know, Zach, it's ridiculous an undisclosed uh, to be a location. YouTuber. And I know, dude. I had to when I was trying to explain this to Ben. He was just looking at me like, "What? What?" <laughs> I I uh, I kind of like my privacy. Uh-huh. Uh, I never tell my last name. I even on my my main rig i've got a crest with my initials and i won't even show that on the on the channel does your fiance uh, know your last name does she know where you live she, almost okay okay I, good she doesn't know my middle name yet <laughs> uh but uh is it dupree I'm from the, I, <laughs> yes oh god <laughs> It's such a wrong song, dude. I can't like imagine that. Like, here comes these legends of the sport. And they're like, man, I got this song about hooking up with your cousin. Like, okay, Donald. Yeah. (laughs) Let's do that. Yeah, your younger Uh, cousin? Mm. Yeah. (laughs) That's so gross. But the song's so dope, man. The song's so good. Right now you're singing it. Right now you're like, I have about a kiss for your cousin to preach. Yep. Um, Totally. I just, I I respect, or uh, I really like my uh, anonymity. There you go. And uh, I'm from the South, obviously. Um, This accent definitely ain't New Jersey. Right. Uh, And to my detriment, actually, because I get a lot of comments and I think people on my there's some people on my Patreon, there's a plug, <laughs> that know who I am, but like they give me a lot of money. So like Right. And I tell them, like, please don't dox me. Don't tell people who I am. Cause I could really I could sell a lot of records of the 
And that's such a weird way that things are going now. Like before you just liked a musician and you bought their stuff. Now it's like they like your personality first. Mm -hmm. Paradigm change that YouTube has brought in. Like, you know, you see these, I mean, it's Jake Paul. You know what I mean? Like that motherfucker didn't start out boxing, but people want to watch him boxing because he's a (laughs) fucking douchebag on YouTube. Um, (laughs) Right? Come on, man. That guy sucks. Yeah. Uh, and that was a fucking fake fight. That was a. I'm a pro wrestling fan. I know work when I see it. Uh, <laughs> that was a. That motherfucker took a dive. The that heel one. goes down, <laughs> big time. Oh, there you go. You know. But yeah, I'm like. I also do a wrestling podcast where I do where I, I am myself, and I don't promote it on my channel. I've had people ask about it. I'm just man. I'm just. I'm just weird like that. I could. I could sell a lot of the records that I'm on if I let people know who I am. Right. And I actually did. Uh, just because I want, just because when I started this channel, I did not want it to be about me playing because the YouTube drum universe needs another drummer playing his shit like a hole in the head. But I've had so many people ask about, you know, we want to see you play and, and I needed to do it to a cre- for accreditation mm-hmm. purposes. Mm-hmm. Cause like I did this one video and it's one of my biggest videos and I fucking caught all kinds of shit. And I, I did the Lars Ulrich fails video <laughs> and dude, <laughs> all of my, I've got a read mean comments, uh, series and most of them are like metallica fans being like who are you you're yeah. in the basement yeah uh but i i did eventually have to start putting stuff out of me playing uh-huh. and uh and i did this thing during christmas like it was the 12 days of steve miss so i released every day up until christmas and the last two songs were christmas songs me playing mm-hmm. and so i could just be like I'm not a jabroni. Right. I'm not the greatest drummer in the world. You know, right. I, 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 I'm a competent hack, but <laughs> I do know I am what I say I am. You right. know, I do play music and I do record and, yeah, and, yeah. and do those things. Uh, but yeah, I, I never wanted it to be about my playing, but I could, if I just told people who I was and, you know, the last band I was in, we got this close, you know, this fucking close to really getting somewhere to you know success whatever you call that right so what uh, what it, was that what was that band and and was the pandemic sort of the 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 death knell for it man you know what the death knell for that band was no because we had already kind of stopped before the pandemic uh the death knell of that band was we had done these things that were so big that if we didn't keep going past that then it was a failure what like was we played on we played on Mountain Stage on NPR, which is a big gigantic uh, show that you know broadcasts uh, like three hundred countries and has like wow. you know, three hundred thousand viewers. And then uh, we played with our with my home state. We'll be renamed. Uh, 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 we'll remain nameless. I'll tell you off offline. <laughs> um, uh, when I tell you offline, you'll kind of understand. Um, <laughs> we played. We'll play. We played with our symphony. Like the symphony invited us to play with our state symphony. Oh, cool! And dude, if you've ever fucking stood in front of an eighty-piece orchestra playing arrangements of your songs, I have. It's it's the greatest. Isn't that yeah. the greatest feeling? It's just it's insane. Fucking like how did how am I here? How did this happen? Yeah. Like I've. You know, two years ago, I was playing to the girlfriends and the bartender. And right. what am I doing right now? Yeah. And those gigs were so big 
that it, like we either had to keep going or we were just going to be the band that tours regionally in 200 and 300 capacity bars. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And we did that for a little while and we went to Nashville and went to music row and had a bunch of fucking, uh, meetings that made me want to have a panic attack. (laughs) Those people were fucking terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking worst, dude. I hate Nashville. I fucking hate it. Uh, it's just, I've I've been in a few music row meetings. Have you had to do that bullshit with those fucking A and R guys? No, I mean I I've only spent a, I've only spent a little bit of time in Nashville. My co-host Matt has lived there for twenty years and and just you know made a living and played tons of different shit there. Um, and you know I spent uh, I spent five years in L A and and Nashville. It's the same thing. It strikes me as similar in that you know it's it's not for everybody. You know for for some people it is perfect and they kick ass and they love it um but it's not for everybody uh so it doesn't sound like let me say that let me (laughs) let me preface that because i do have wonderful friends down there in that industry like one of my best friends is the bass player for jake owen right Mm -hmm. uh and there's so many great goddamn musicians down there yeah i mean the musicianship in nashville is un it's it's unbelievable but when you go above the musicians and get into those buildings and go the higher, the more floors you go up, right. the shittier it is. I'm sure. So, so that band, that band, I, you know, I never name it, uh, but I call it music for misfit, uh, for the misfit toys. It's music for the island of misfit toys. It was very <laughs> genre bending. We had music that, that, uh, you know, some people would say sound like Gogol, Gogol Bordello, because we had a Palestinian uh, violinist, so we had a lot of uh, Middle Eastern and Gypsy wow. flavor in it. Cool. Uh, so one song would be like a Gypsy jazz type thing, and then another one would be like a grunge song in five eight. You know, another song would sound kind of like a, like a hot jazz big band type thing, and then there would be rockabilly after that. It right. Was, it was everything that I wanted in a band because I got to play all the different styles. But when you try to play on that national level, it's the death knell mm-hmm. because we were told so many times, we don't know what the fuck you are. Right. We can't mark it, that we can't boil it down. Yeah. It was a very big band, and we always got stuck with the arcade fire thing because mm-hmm. we had a violinist, bass guitar player who played classical guitar. Uh, then we had a trombone player who also played uh, accordion. And if you play accordion on stage in a rock band, they're going to think you're Arcade Fire. <laughs> and then we had a trumpet player who would play glockenspiel and keyboards. And then we had... Jesus two, Christ. Uh, and then we had two backup singers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? So yeah. it was a, it was a, just this big circus, this big like Dionysian orgy circus on stage. <laughs> and, and dude, I put that band up against just about anything. I'll send you some videos when we get done. Yeah, so I'd love it. I think I'm just talking out my ass. Uh, <laughs> but the, it was the death knell because they couldn't just be like, well, this band is this genre. Right, right. And you could almost call it world music because we had, we had stuff that was influenced by like Ghana High Life. Mm-hmm. You know, we had, uh, you know, we, 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 pl- we had a lot of Latin type things as well. But then also we would have parts that sound like Black Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was the death knell. And we just realized that like we can't go any farther than this. We've been 
the band had been together for 10 years and I was in it for six and wow. a half. Yeah. You know, we had, uh, we did a, we did a couple records with a guy named Eddie Ashworth, who's the producer for Sublime. Uh-huh. Uh, if you know all the Sublime hits, he's the guy. Yeah, right? okay. He's the dude that did that. He's done a bunch of other stuff. He did, he did uh, some of my favorite Pennywise records. I think he did a Bad Religion record. Uh, and we made some good records, and man, I loved it. It was such a good fucking band, and it was. We were uh, a victim of our own a- excess <laughs> because we never didn't. We never said no right. when we would write something. Right. Like, holy, what the fuck are we doing? Where we <laughs> one song was like a boss in five i'm like well this is definitely not gonna this has no hit potential whatsoever but it <laughs> makes us feel good yeah you know what i mean yeah, and that's yeah. and that goes back to what we were talking at the beginning of it you know i am not the success that i maybe could have been because i've been asked to go to nashville and do that routine but i only am going to do shit that i that makes me feel good yeah i'm going to shuffle off this mortal coil knowing that everything that i did i wanted to do mm-hmm yeah, you know what I mean. Not and to be too fadeless. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to move forward. Uh, you know, as as things start to open up here again, um, I'm trying to move forward. Now where are you at, Zach? I'm not going to tell you. Okay, fine. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I'm I'm in uh, I'm in Atlanta. Ooh, I love that place. I love Damn, it I too. Love I love it too. We played we that band I was just talking about. We played Dragon Con two years. Oh in a my row. god! Do you know what Dragon Con is? Yeah, I I I just can't. But anyway, I'm it's, I'm moving. It's so much fun. I'm moving forward with this eye on on what you're talking about, like playing what I want to play with who I want to play with, um, and uh, you know, there's um. There's the whole money conversation <laughs> and, yeah. you know, there's there's a balance to like you got to take some of those wedding gigs. You got to teach some students, um, you know, hopefully that won't be the case forever. But even if it is, if I spend more time and energy playing the music I want to play with the people I want to play with, uh, then then whatever else I do becomes m- more tolerable. Right. Man, life's too short to play shit that yep. you don't like. Yeah. You yep. know what I mean? Like. And that gets back to, you know, being, and I've done a lot of studio work where, you know, I, uh, and that's fine. I think that's fun, actually. Just uh, go absolutely. in. You, know, you may not even know the artist's last name and you're just trying to come up with these great parts really fucking quick. And, right. And uh, doing studio, like in the last year, I've gotten my home tracking going here. So I'm I'm doing some work on air gigs uh, and, you know, whoever else comes along. And, and Are you on Fiverr? Uh, I was for a second, but you can... Um, I didn't. I didn't know that uh, they had a sort of section for musicians. Do they? Yeah. Oh shit. Dude, yeah, Fiverr is a big one. Uh, excuse me. Uh, that's actually some of my favorite videos that Stephen Taylor did. Oh, have you cool. had Stephen Taylor on? No, no, I don't think so. The dr- YouTube channel guy that looks like Triple H. <laughs> He's a drum teacher. No. Yeah, he looks just like Triple H. I had him on my. Oh channel wait, no. I, after- we did yes a, a couple months ago. By my partner interviewed. He's him, a I sweetheart. Yeah. I had him on my on my. I have a I have a, a YouTube uh, a, a drum interview channel called Know Your Role. Right. <laughs> he's such a fucking sweetheart. And one of his my favorite videos he does is man he's got to be getting paid because he pay he bought Kenny Aronoff. 
he makes he writes these songs and then he has four or five different fiver drummers uh, play it and then he analyzes what they did and didn't do. And Crazy! Now it's a great it's a great series. It's so good that I told him I'm going to eventually rip it off because uh, <laughs> it's a great idea. Because I've got songs that I've written that I could do it and not get fucked with copyright. And he Kenny Aronoff is on fucking Fiverr. You That's can, nuts. And I, I think That's he nuts. cost two grand. I think he did it for two grand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, a, for a song. Two grand for a song. I believe it. I totally believe it. But what what I was going to say was that doing that kind of work, um, you know, it, it this <laughs> you might not like the song, you might not like the artist, but you don't have to, like, schlep your shit to the wedding venue and have a bad time there. You can just have a bad time at your house. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, you don't have to you don't have you don't have to let anyone see you do it. Right. Right. <laughs> um so Man, yeah, like, wedding gigs, dude. I shut that shit down. I played the last wedding gig I played was about fuck 7 8 years ago and like I used to be a server, right? I, I you know, waiter. Yeah. Waiter's disrespect. I was a fucking server. And <laughs> I think that the the wedding the wedding band is like just a a rung below the caterer. And I felt that at that gig and I'm yeah. like I'm not doing this anymore. Like I don't give a fuck how much this costs or yeah. like how much this can get me. I'm not doing this anymore. I I told someone uh, I th- I think I said on the podcast a few weeks ago like after after the pandemic I'm letting wedding gigs back in the door the same way you let bread back in the door after the whole 30, you know? Because, right? <laughs> like, you, you experience life without it, and you're like, oh, shit, this is amazing. You know, I kind of I got to do it. I need that money, and bread is delicious. But, man, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to be so judicious about <laughs> Like, it's got to be worth it. I don't want to break my key. I, I'm going to stay in ketosis for as long <laughs> as I can. <laughs> exactly. Can you talk a little bit about um, your experience of growing up in the South, like how, how Southern musical traditions – whether it's uh, bluegrass or the Memphis thing or, um, you know, just the, the spectrum of Southern music uh, shaped you as a, as a musician. I said this on Ben's podcast and, he, and you know, him being a uh, – uh, he's from Washington, right? And, you know, I like Seattle, but there's no musical history there. You know what I mean? Uh, okay, grunge music, right? Obviously. Yeah, right. I mean, there's a little, there's a, there's a little jazz history that goes back quite a bit further. Cause yeah, because like, that's where Quincy Jones is from. And Ray Charles did a stint there. Um, yeah. You know, according to the biopic. Um, but I, I right. know what you're saying. It doesn't, it doesn't have the sort of you know ancient folk history that the South All does. American, all American music that you love fucking originated somewhere in the South. <laughs> It did. All of it. Mm -hmm. Blues music, gospel music, jazz music. You know, those are the, uh, you know, my my fiance's a chef, right? So those are the mother sauces. Mm. Everything, those are the mother sauces. Everything that comes from what you dig comes from there. You're speaking my language now because I'm so into cooking and man, nothing gets my attention like a cooking analogy. Oh, dude. I mean, I do it all the time, man. Dude, she's the reason I have to go to the gym, man. She's a, she's a, she's a French chef, so fucking everything is just... Oh. You know why you know that shit tastes good? Butter, butter and cream. Butter. 
Oh yep. God, it's so good. Yeah, because like the, the when we first started going out, she lo- opened my refrigerator and she was just like, "What's margarine? What the fuck is that?" Oh like, man, yeah, she bread? was like, this, "Are you serious? This won't do at all." <laughs> this is, I can't cook with this, yeah. right? But the, everything, uh, man, it's all from here, and and then it migrated. Chicago became a blues town because all those Mississippi cats went up the went up the fucking Mississippi River, right? right. And went to went there, right? Uh, you know, Snoop Dogg has that accent because his family's from the South. Mm-hmm. You know, the that 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 accent is Southern. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, it's just for all of its flaws, and there are many. I, I'll put it like this: when I'm describing the South versus the North. When my bands, I, I was in a band once as this jam band many, many years ago, and we got we had this conversion van, and we only got it because they had a TV so we could play fucking PlayStation while we're on the road. <laughs> and never buy a band van because of the entertainment that it's going to give you. Although we did meet a lot of uh, famous people at festivals because we were always that band that played during the day in front of lettuce right. or you know p funk but we we met a lot of famous people because people were like man there's this band that's got an xbox over there let's go play Unreal tournament <laughs> but every time my band that van broke down in the north they just fucking yelled at us and nobody helped mm. but every time that shit broke down in north carolina i think it broke down outside of macon once mm-hmm motherfuckers got out and helped you yeah and 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 you know one one here's a good here's a good story i love this story so much we were playing a big uh, uh it was a 48 hour festival in rocky mount north carolina and we had other gigs around that festival and our ship broke down in i think maybe it was in rocky mount and man this dude got out this big like bar- biker looking dude got out and helped us get this van off the fucking road. And then our van was just dead. Right. So we had to get a hotel room. We stayed there and we were fucking, this is we we were all in our early twenties and we were all fucking broke. <laughs> the only man who had money was me. And it was just because I had just finished teaching a band camp week. Oh man. So I used to teach marching band. Right? Oh. I'm, I'm, uh, a big part of my uh, dude, you're in the South, baby. We love marching band. Oh, I'd here, like, right? no, I've done that exact <laughs> job. Not, not in the South, but, but man, that's a, but I had a, a big paycheck, Yeah, but like they literally picked me up from this band camp. That was like some church camp somewhere. And then we went on the road. Right. So I was the only one who had money. So I was, uh, there was five, Five or six of us in that band, five or six, and I was, you know, we were paying to get the band fixed, and then we had a one of our guitar player had an abscess tooth, had to go to the doctor, and mm. it was a goddamn mess. But that guy that fucking helped us out owned a vending company, and he didn't see us play. We were just these fucking stupid hippies in a van. He, you know, he knew we were musicians, and you know, if you've ever played around bikers, bikers love musicians, yeah. right? There, there's a there's a long history of love between uh-huh. bikers and musicians. And this mother, and we, I think we were stuck down there for like four or five days. We were all having to call off from Applebee's because we were stuck in North Carolina. And that dude took us to work every day, and we helped with the vending machines, and he paid us. Wow, that's the South to me. Yep. You know what I mean? That's what the South is. You yeah. know, we we are all struggling mm-hmm. at, at various levels. 
And, you know, what's, what's better than to help somebody? Right. And, uh, you know, a helping hand, man. And yeah, that yeah. guy, and dude, later, here's the, the, the cap to that story. And, you know, I told you he was a biker. I got an email however many months after that, and this guy had got arrested for whatever. And it was his wife, and she was like, would you write a recommendation letter to be read in court? You know, going you know, talking to the fact that this guy was a good dude, and I right. wrote out a, a letter. It was like this guy didn't know us from Adam. Uh, he, you know, helped us get our van to the garage, and then he employed us for a few days. Mm-hmm. And you know, we were we were fucked down there, and that dude helped us. And as far as I know, it was re- it was read in court for whatever reason <laughs> he was in court for. Because if he's a biker, that could be a plethora of reasons. Did somebody actually re- say in court we were fucked, and that dude helped us? <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, you know, I'm a deconstructionist, man. Let's get down. Let's get down to what what we're really trying to play. I can, I can write out a bunch of flauncy purple prose, but let's just get down to what really fucking yeah, happened. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, uh, but that's the South to me, and the South. It's the it's all the music. It's all of it, man. Right. Fucking. So what was the what was the music that that you were like? What were you spinning nonstop when you were in high school? Like what was forming you in your young uh, Steve brain? Uh, everything but that because I was trying to rebel. <laughs> I was listening. I was listening to like the harshest punk rock I could find mm-hmm. and the dirtiest, rawest uh uh gangster rap that I could find. <laughs> so it was all fucking like N.W.A. and Ice Cube and Bad Religion and Sex Pistols. And uh, okay, and so then grunge happens. So and fast, then grunge happens. So fast forward to like the older, wiser Steve. Uh, what southern music do you speaks to you the most now? Man, you know what? Now uh, it's man. I listen to bluegrass all the time, hmm. and I wonder. And I, I'm a, I'm a big harmony fan. I'm a song fan, yeah. right? I I am a song fan. I said this on my channel once. I got a bunch of bad comments. And I, I didn't mean it, but I did. I was trying to get across another point where, like, I don't know if I like drums all that much. I just like playing drums in songs that I like. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to participate in wonderful songs, and drums are just the thing that I do to do that. Yeah. So, you know, in bluegrass, you know, obviously there's a virtuos- virtuoso tradition in bluegrass, but it's about those those songs, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I know what you're getting at. The, the first thing that I uh list that i that turned me on to what the south was for me it was my mom turning me on to watching uh the last waltz and then levon helm was mm. my first fucking hero and you know that band is from the extreme north they're canadians except him right but they all were living vicariously through levon and his uh tradition of music that was in arkansas mm-hmm. and uh, you know he's from turkey scratch arkansas <laughs> and uh which is, of course he's from turkey scratch arkansas <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, of course, he's from a place called that. Yeah. And that's when, you know, I was, you know, I had like, you know, 100 miles and running by NWA and, 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 uh, you know, listen to Sex Pistols and Misfits. But then that stuff, like, it, 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 like, it, like, uh, it shot an arrow through all of that rebellion mm-hmm. that I wanted, that mm-hmm. I was doing and being like, no, this is who you actually are. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? You, you are this. No, that doesn't mean that I still don't love NWA. Right. I fucking still love them. Yeah. 
but that was the one. And then, then once you get out of that teenager thing of like, uh, I'm not going to listen to anybody else and only like what I like and you don't can't fucking tell me anything <laughs> that I have to deal with with teenagers every day in my teaching practice. Right. That's when I was like, oh, and then the world opened up, yeah, right? And yeah. then, you know, my dad, you know, I was, it wasn't like I wasn't listening to everything else. My mom is a Fleetwood Mac mom, mm-hmm. right? You know, every mom, everybody's mom are about our age, a Fleetwood Mac mom. And then my dad was a uh, outlaw country Southern rock guy. Right? Uh, so you know, so now, yeah, all. now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> right. So then once then, and I was like, damn, dad's got something going on with this Almond Brothers and uh, Marshall Tucker, which mm-hmm. are, you know, Almond Brothers people. People don't really like calling Allman Brothers Southern Rock, but they're associated. And they were on I mean, Capricorn what, Records, what the fuck which else was are the they Southern if, Rock. What, they're, what? They're, more, they're more than that. Like, if you compare them to, like, you know, uh, uh, Molly Hatchet or... Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. I, they're, you know, those guys were all jazz fans. You know, they wrote... Uh, Oh shit! It's not Story Monday. Um, uh, Dreams. That song, Dreams, hmm. which is in that like six eight waltzy kind of feel. They wrote that after listening to uh, Kind of Blue. Hmm. You know what I mean? They yeah, were yeah. more than just that. You know, those guys are all jazz fans. You know, Jamo is was a jazz drummer, right? You know what I'm right. saying? So those and guys I guess are more than that. I I I know that they're more than that, and I would rather listen to the Almond Brothers than Molly Hatchet any day for sure. Um, <laughs> but I I think of the Almond Brothers as like uh, th- you know, my favorite expression of southern of the southern rock umbrella. It is yeah, because they brought it all. Da- they brought it all together because yeah. they had a lot of jazz stuff. They had a lot of blues stuff. They had a lot of gospel stuff. You know, Greg Allman has one of the most soulful voices that's mm. ever been recorded. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And all of that just comes down to that. It's all from Congo Square, man. It's yeah. all from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. It's all there. You know what I mean? Country music, all the mother sauces. That's right. the best way to put it. And are, what- are in are down there because you can you can draw a line from you know, say Muddy Waters or John Lee Hooker, and that line goes straight to Black Sabbath, mm. and that line goes straight to Led Zeppelin. You know, I said this on Ben's podcast. The the British invasion was just a bunch of British white dudes trying to be like Southern black guys. Yes. I mean, that's what Rolling Stones were. That's what the Yardbirds were. That's mm-hmm. what the Beatles were originally. You know, the, the, the Beatles were obsessed with Roy Orbison, who's from Texas. Uh, and they were obsessed with the Everly Brothers, who are from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And they were obsessed with uh, Bo Diddley, yeah. who is uh, – I'm not sure where Bo Diddley's from. I think he's – if he's not from the South, he's from Chicago, and he's from he's in Chicago because he's from the South. Because mm-hmm. you know, that mass migration totally. of, of you know people going north yeah. when you know they – had to because they had to get the fuck out. Yeah. Because that's another thing about the South is, you know, we all, all of us, I have a friend from Portugal and uh, she's, she is fascinated by how, because man, if you're in Europe, every one of your countries have done fucked up shit to other countries Mm -hmm. and they just, they just don't even think about it unless you're in Germany. But she's, she is fascinated by how like everybody who is a, a native Southerner, like we're born with that sin, mm-hmm. you know. What I mean, we're born with that, and a lot of a lot of the music that you're hearing is an expression of a soulful apology for the things that we didn't do, and probably not even. You know, I'm I'm mostly Native American, so like a lot of a lot of my people weren't involved in that shit. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, a lot of my people were being marched 
fucking other places. Yeah. Uh, but that that sin of the South, because you can't talk about the South. You can't talk about the good shit if you don't talk about the bad shit. Yeah, yeah. Because you just then you just look like a hypocrite. Uh, that that stuff is that song. The night they drove old Dixie down. Right. I mean, it's that. It's you know uh, the biggest population of the South didn't fucking own slaves. They were the playthings of the rich people. Right. You know the Civil War wasn't fucking uh, started by the guy who was your horse farrier. You know, it was started by fucking rich motherfuckers, right? right? It wasn't, and and then you know the populace went along, unfortunately. Yes, and that's a big part of the soulfulness of it. Is it's like we're all trying, and maybe it's not this extreme, but it's like we're all trying to make up. We're trying to make up for it because mm-hmm. that's a fucking heavy. That's a heavy thing. That went on, you know what I'm saying, for yeah. hundreds of years, yeah. and and you know I know that the South has a uh, you can it has the reputation of being backwards and and racist, and man, I can honestly say that I know those people, but it's not the majority. Yes. It's not the fucking majority. You live in Atlanta, dude. Uh-huh. That's one of the fucking richest. Like environments to live in. Yeah, I fucking if if I could deal with a big city, I would live in Atlanta. Atlanta is the most integrated city we have ever lived in. It's 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 exactly what the American dream is supposed to be. <laughs> is what Atlanta is. Yeah, I know that may be too poetic for a fucking drum podcast. No, I'm I'm with it. I'm here for it. It's exactly what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like Killer Mike loves the Almond Brothers. Yep. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I love Outkast. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's what, and I know that Outkast loves Jimi Hendrix. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's it's what, it's it's the ideal of what this experiment of this country is supposed to be. And I think what you were saying about Levon, how, like, Levon resonated with you so strongly, um, I, I, I related to that because so much of the music I've experienced here and so many of the musicians that I've played with resonate with me the same way because um it it feels like there is an honesty about music and musicians in the south um that that doesn't exist maybe to that extent in other places and it's not that i mean some places are just overly cynical <laughs> you know you'll find oh yeah you'll you'll find uh cynicism in spades in la and new york and nashville and and wherever um but I just I, I found uh, just this refreshing sort of lack of cynicism, no matter the genre. Um, I like I just sort of encountered musicians like making music in such an honest way and such a meaningful way um, that I, I feel like that's to me sort of like one of the things that defines Southern music um, is just this. We don't down- have any airs. We don't have any airs. <laughs> yes. You know what yeah, I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. It's. Because we're, because you know, you might be rich, but you've got a cousin somewhere that probably has an outhouse. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, you know, where I grew up, I, I had a friend who had a dirt floor. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, there, it's it's hard to be pretentious in the South, mm-hmm. and that honesty 
actually has been something that has helped me on my YouTube channel. I like, I've gotten a lot of comments where they're just like, wow, you are a uh, genuine person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and I, I don't know any other way. I can't, I can't work like a wrestler. I can't be anything else. Right. right. Uh, right. It's, it's this, it's, it's the South man, you know? Yeah. I, Southern, Southern musicians. They're like, they're just like, I am going to be myself in this music. Yeah. I'm going to be myself on stage. And it's one of the reasons that we have a problems when we go to LA. Cause you know, in LA you have that whole thing where like someone will hug you and look behind you to see if someone's more important behind you. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it. Uh, oh, come on. I've Zach. totally done it, man. LA oh, just like LA affects then you're you. You're in the right place. Then it, you came to the right place. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so that idea is not, you're not going to do that in Savannah, man. You're going to go to Savannah and you're going to meet someone and you're going to be like, man, tell me about yourself. And you're going to be honestly interested yeah. in that person. You know but what I mean? Levon, I love Savannah, Georgia. Levon is uh, such a, a a great example of that because like he, you know, he didn't dress flashy. He didn't play flashy. He didn't like make a bunch of faces and a bunch of extraneous movements behind the kit. Like he was just singing and playing for his fucking life. Um, he was playing like his life depended on yes. it. Yes. Yeah. And and he was such an influence that he made all those fucking Canadians want to be that. Right. Because when people think of the band, they think of Southern culture immediately. And that music was made in fucking upstate New York and in L.A. Yep. You know, they had Shangri-La, the studio they had out in L.A. Mm-hmm. But those guys, those guys lived vicariously through him because they came there. You know, they went to Arkansas and they went to those southern states and they was like, this is where the real shit is, man. Yeah. Robbie Robertson, if Robbie Robertson could go back in a, in a time machine, he'd make his mom give birth to him in <laughs> fucking Tennessee. Yep. You know what I mean? Like yep. that's I like everybody what- wants it. I liked what you were saying on Ben's podcast about how, I mean, I think it's fairly common knowledge that, uh, you know, most of the last waltz had to be re-recorded, uh, but no, all of it, none of him, none of Levon's shit did. Um, and I, I just love the idea that like the Southerner from Turkey scratch, Arkansas was like the only one who fucking showed up to work that day. <laughs> That's it. Well, because man, at the time, that's when you know those guys were the biggest band in the world, and they were all living wrong. Yeah, you know, to yeah. to put it nicely, you know, those guys were living wrong, man. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, none of the performance. Well, and you know, also, uh, Levon was completely against the idea of the last waltz. So mm-hmm. there was no way in hell that he was going to go in and recut shit. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? That's the, he talks about that in his autobiography. Uh-huh. You know, he didn't want that band to, to end. And Robbie Robertson, who I do have major problems with, but I do appreciate the fact that he was seeing his brothers dying around him because mm-hmm. they were all living quite wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's very, it's just so fun. You hate such great artists become so fucking stereotypical and so fucking obvious. Yeah. But man, we've been in this business, dude. You know, I've been to too many funerals for a guy my age. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I live in the opioid belt of America. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've had a lot of friends in the in the music business go far too early and Robbie Robertson was trying to stop that you know and and he was in earnest and after i watched his documentary he was in earnest being like i saw my friends living far too fast and it was because they were in this band right cuz every motherfucker in the world wanted to get next to the band mm-hmm. and we've all had handshake drugs on our lot in our life yeah you know we've all had that 
since you're uh, engaged to a, a chef, I'm sure you're well aware of of just like you know the underworld of of the culinary uh, industry. Um, and I think there are so many parallels between that world and the music world. Like they're they're creatives. both they're well not creatives. just not just creatives for sure, but also just like derelict pirates who can't function <laughs> yeah. in normal society, right? <laughs> it's so true. The, uh, there's such a disconnect of what people think chefs are to what they actually are. Oh yeah, I mean they're uh, like dude, musicians. Have you ever seen a, do you watch – this is so off topic. Do you watch Bob's Burgers by any chance? No, but I probably should, I think. You absolutely should. Okay. There's an episode. You know, Bob's Burger, he's about he's a chef, right? right? He's a burger cook, right? He gets into a group of real chefs, <laughs> and they go on like a two-week bender. And, you know, he's like an old guy with family, mm -hmm. and these are like tatted, tatted up, you know, chefs, right? right? And they're partying every night. And, like, the joke is just like, oh, uh, yeah, last night we were drinking schnapps from Iceland. You know, <laughs> It's like that that uh, uh, culture is almost as bad as yeah. music culture. Yeah. If you've read the Anthony Bourdain book, I have all he, of them. Uh, oh well, you know he talks about like you gotta have that that uh, uh, dish guy of a certain nationality because he's your heroin hookup for the whole fucking <laughs> right for the for the kit for the uh, kitchen. Right? Yeah. 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 I think it's it's those people are creative. Like if you know anything about chefs, man, they don't. They're a lot different than, you know, the guy on the line at TGI Friday. Mm -hmm. you know, they're always thinking about creating something new. And but, the you know, the equals, the outcome is the same. Mm -hmm. We're trying to make a, a good piece of music to make someone feel good or make some something make someone feel something. Yeah. And a chef is trying to make this amazing dish. That makes you feel something. That yeah, makes you feel good. They're, Man, they're, I I never put it. Pain. I never put a finger on it in that way. But like both chefs and musicians are just like you know they're trying to conjure emotions and memories in people um, through through what they do, and and that's like um, uh, you know it's it's a weird space to live in, and I think that's why so many of people so so many people in those industries like like you said, end up living wrong. <laughs> um, Real wrong, because man. Because <laughs> the, the, water, the water they swim in is just supercharged with emotions and memories and, and all that shit. It's, man. I'll just, I, dude, I'll do, I, 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 Kevin Smith has, is one of my favorite directors and he had a great line. Uh, I will pay all the money to feel something. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. and as musicians that we're doing, and you know, that gets back to the pandemic. People really fucking remembered, like, almost like they forgot that when they were going through their head shit when they were on lockdown, because there's nothing more damaging to the psyche than solitary confinement. Yeah. You know, what's the one thing in prison that they do to you that's worse than prison? Right. It's solitary confinement. And all these people, what did they, what did they turn to? They turn to their music. Mm -hmm. They turn to us. Yeah. You know, they turn to musicians. And, you know, how many social media posts have you heard or you, have, you, have you read where it's just like, I just want to see a live fucking band? Yeah. And you know what? I was a cynical asshole about that because I was seeing it from a lot of people who I've never seen at a fucking show. Yeah. But my band, my metal band, played the first indoor show in our state 
three weeks ago. Mm. And we're an instrumental stoner metal band <laughs> that does not move the population needle all that much. Right. Packed fucking house. Yep. Yep. I couldn't fucking believe it because I, uh, I made a joke on the last live stream that like instrumental stoner metal bands were social distanced way before social distancing <laughs> became a thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, only hardcore metal fans are going to listen to an instrumental stoner metal band. Right. And dude, it was fucking packed. And I was like, oh, I was, I, I enjoy being proven. Um, I enjoy my cynicism being proven wrong because mm-hmm. I'm can be pretty fucking cynical. And I was getting and I cynical like, about it too. Like, you know, I, I can't tell you how many, you know, half full shows I've played or, or less. And, you know, I was beginning to think like, especially with, with, uh, digitization and, uh, you know, the ability to remotely record and all this, I was like, where is, uh, where is live music going to go? Is it just, does anybody give a shit about it? And you're absolutely right. The pandemic was like, all right, let's just take away live music for a while. You know, humanity has been enjoying live music for 10,000 years. Let's, let's say, yeah. let's take it away for a while and see how they deal. Um, These and, people need it, man. We yeah. need this stuff. Yeah. We need the arts in general. And people really realized like, Okay, so one of my best friends, he's a he's a videographer, film director, or a movie music video director in Nashville, and uh, he works with Evanescence. And I'm not going to say give their business on on here, but like Evanescence did a podcast or did a live stream, and the numbers were astronomical mm-hmm. of the people who who bought a ticket to that motherfucker. Yeah, astronomical numbers. Now I realize that Evanescence is one of the biggest bands in the whole wide world, but. Even my buddy was like, and he works with Rush. He does stuff with Rush. Mm-hmm. He, I do a podcast with these guys also on my on my channel that's actually defunct now a little bit, but we'll get back to that again. Called Drunk Uncle Radio, <laughs> and we talk, <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's all my buddies in Nashville who are musicians, and and Adam is a director, but he's also a, a fantastic musician as well. And he couldn't fucking believe the numbers of people just like, please, can we watch something being made live yeah you know what i mean because there's something different than just like well here's a pre-recorded video that we did right you know they were interacting with them you know they had you know they were interacting with the comments and shit and all and most of the live streams i've done they've got like a big ass screen in front so you can like you know read the comments from stuff yeah i'm doing i'm doing a similar thing tomorrow with uh ruby bell and the sulfonics um just another another live stream thing and yeah i mean people will take what they can get like they're starving for it um, yeah. So, and that's been, and, 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 uh, you know, it's very Southern to be like, what is the good out of this awful shit thing that we all just went through? And like a good old Southerner, because we just, we endure, we endure and we endure. <laughs> what is the good of it is like, you know, we were reminded of how important the music and art and food and, and connecting. And that's the thing connecting with someone else mm-hmm. yeah you know i mean you know none of us have any stories nobody's got any stories from the last year yeah you know, we got no stories about me and my buddy going to see you know i was going to go see promise do uh, a farewell to kings oh wow you know, they were going to do that whole rush uh do a whole shit. rush album yeah yeah and i don't ha- you know i don't have that fucking story man you know yeah. what i mean and they're i guess they're going to do it again i'm definitely going to go watch that <laughs> 
And man, that's what it's about. Like stories. Cause that's, and that's why I love about songs. Cause songs are stories. Mm-hmm. You know, songs are reflections of things that's happened to you in the past. Right. And right. that's, that's people have realized that. And, and if we can take, one minute good thing from this awful thing, that would be it. That would yeah. be the one thing. That and fewer wedding gigs. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, no shit. That's good. Yeah, nobody's getting married. Nobody's asking you to go play. Oh, God. Uh, what well, is your, tell me your worst wedding gig story. Oh, man. Um, I like, I've been, I've been fortunate to not, oh, well, I, I had one like two years ago where, um, Okay, I'll say for the most part, I, I've I've avoided, um, you know, my my list of shitty wedding gig stories is pretty short, fortunately. Um, but uh, on one I did about two years ago, uh, you know, these people tried to put an eight-piece band on a riser that was like six by eight. And oh, uh, they had like half of the riser not covered by the giant fucking tent that everybody else was under. Uh, and halfway through the reception, it just started raining hammers and nails. There's like an immediate puddle under the platform. And uh, we had to stop, you know, because according to the contract with the company we were playing for, it's like this is a safety hazard. We are unplugging everything. We are done until further notice. And the father of the bride, who by that point was, you know, living hammered, living wrong, uh, <laughs> uh, just teed off on on my friend who was the band leader, who was you know just just the sweetest lady, dear friend of mine, and he yeah he just it was a bad bad scene. Um, but, uh, a, a funnier one happened around the same time where, you know, talking about like, you know, the anonymity of the band or just sort of like the, the plebeian status of the band. Um, a buddy of mine, we were on a set break. We had done the first reception set and, uh, you know, we just kind of went over to the bar. We got ourselves a drink. Um, and we're just standing there shooting the shit and the bride made a beeline for us, uh, trailed closely by one of her friends, um, and she just came right up to us and she was like, excuse me, what are you doing? Oh, no. And, and we were like, oh, we were just – it didn't compute. We were like, I, what do you mean? I'm sorry. She was like, who are you? What are you doing here? Ah, wedding crashers. <laughs> and we were like, oh, we, I mean, we were in the band. We were just taking a break. And, and she was like, oh, my – one of my friends told me that like she didn't recognize you. We thought you were crashing. <laughs> but, Did like, you get her number though? <laughs> but no, it was this immediate switch because like she she came at us like ready to peel our faces off with her eyes, you know, because uh, uh, you obviously are not one of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have any, have you or do you have any friends that's done uh, cruise ships? I've uh, had a few friends and I've interviewed a bunch of people that have done that. I, I have never done that. I, I don't think I'm I gonna. almost did it. I almost did it. In my younger days, I almost signed. Well, it was going to be like a six month contract out of Alaska. Mm. Uh, and I was just like, ah, oh, man, never have a fucking chance to hang out in Alaska. Uh, but, uh, but I had a student do it. And dude, he said on those ships, unless you are like, there's like tiers of musicians on those scenes, right? You know, seniority. If you're a top guy, if you're a wrestling fan, if you're a top guy, <laughs> you know, you get your own, you get your own suite. 
and maybe you're allowed to talk to the guests. Mm-hmm. But if you're like my my student went in as low man on the totem pole and his roommate was a like a Chilean cook that didn't speak English and uh, he got chastised because, man, he was like out of college, good looking kid. Right. What do you think he's going to be doing on a fucking cruise ship? Anything and, and he, everything. Everything, right? <laughs> and he and he almost got fired because he was, you know, being one of the dirty workers out there, mm. uh, cavorting, cavorting with the right. with the guests and such. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's a very no no thing. And that's such a that's such a, and it's in the contract because I had a contract for that one company, and it's like you know you will not uh, you know. Uh, a mix with the yeah. with the no fraternizing with the, with the help no fraternizing yeah mm-hmm. and he always got fired because he was fraternizing what do you think like what do you think you're going to get if you bring musicians and chefs on a fucking on a boat derelict pirates man yes derelict pirates in <laughs> derelict pirates in their natural habitat <laughs> oh man steve we could we could go on for hours and hours and hopefully we'll get to in person one day but uh this for it was, sure man next time in atlanta i might hit, i might hit you up please man. please do we'll show you a good time but man thank you thank you for talking uh and i'm really uh Really happy for you with all the the success you've had on the on the YouTube channel. Tell people where they can find that. Uh, it is Junk Drummer TV. Please go check me out on Junk Drummer TV. Uh, there's something for everything, or something for everyone over there. Uh, because I know it's very easy to, if you're going to do like a drum commentary type thing to just do metal bands because that's what most people look for, right? right. You know, my, uh, both of my Slipknot videos have like almost a. Uh, 500,000 views but if you like jazz music I've got Tony Williams I've got Art Blakey on there Mm -hmm. I break down Billy Martin Uh, you know I just did this Japanese avant-garde performance artist a couple weeks ago (laughs) there's uh, I I bet that was racking up the views (laughs) boy howdy oh boy you should watch that please go watch if you watch any of my videos Zach watch that one okay because it's this guy basically like humping a fucking snare drum for three minutes it's fucking dumb <laughs> like there's a different there's art and then there's just fucking stupidity right uh, but but my channel is made for people who like everything if you like metal that's on there if you like funk music it's on there uh, it, it I am trying in earnest to teach you for free because I want to just kind of, you know, I want to leave a little something. And that's yeah, my and little chance. No, no matter who you're sort of analyzing, no matter what the genre, you know, you always have uh, insightful stuff to say about the, the drumming, about the music from the technical side, from the creative side. It's just, it's a great resource about, you know, the anatomy of drum parts and the construction of songs. Um, and it's just, keep keep it up, man. It's a great, it's a great resource. I'm, I'm trying real hard, Zach. <laughs> keep trying. <laughs> Thank you very much, brother. Thanks to Steve for that talk. That was a blast. Check out Junk Drummer TV on YouTube. Tons of great analysis videos there. And as you heard, Steve is just an entertaining dude all around. Matthew Krause is back with you next week, and he'll be talking with Doan Perry, whose career with Jethro Tull spanned nearly three decades and has played on hundreds of other recordings for studio albums, film, and TV along the way. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, get that shot if you haven't already, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.